Welcome to the Family Beacon Podcast from Minnesota Family Council with hosts Grace Evans and Moses Bratrude. Stay informed on the top stories on life, family, and religious freedom. Get the facts, stand for truth. Hello and welcome back to the Family Beacon Podcast. I'm Grace Evans and I'm here with Moses Bratchard. We are back from our very long break of on season three, but we're back at it. We're so excited and I want to give you a quick rundown of everything we'll be discussing on today's episode. First, we will give you a recap of our 40th anniversary annual dinner with Senator Langford as our keynote speaker. It was such an amazing event. I was able to be there for it. It was just awesome. So I'll recap that for you and tell you a special announcement from that night. Next, we'll be talking about why Minnesota is trending so progressive on gender issues when they view the Scandinavian countries as their guiding star and these Scandinavian countries are actually pushing back on gender ideology because of all of their studies. Finally, we're going to discuss our keynote story of the week, which is how progressives here in Minnesota are actually pushing assisted suicide. They're pushing it in 2024, but they're starting it now, even at the state fair. So with that being said, Moses, let's go ahead and jump on into uh, a recap of our annual dinner. Thank you so much, Grace. And it's really good to be back on the air for you guys. Um, you know, this was a little bit of a longer mid-season break than we anticipated, but a lot of that was just making sure that this new setup is ready. Uh, because as you can tell, Grace is not in the studio today, which is a bummer for us. Um, she is uh, working remotely now. And so we're going to make this podcast work remotely, at least for the present. And what that means is that we're going to continue to be hopefully a great resource for you guys uh, so that you can get the facts and stand for truth. Um, And we're also really hoping that this audio video um, quality is going to be really good. We've we've thought about this a lot. We've worked hard on it. If there's any thoughts that you guys have on how we can improve the quality or indeed the content of this podcast, we are always ready to hear your feedback. So as Grace said, we had our 40th anniversary at, uh, dinner last week uh, on Friday, and it was so wonderful and encouraging. As Grace said, we had Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma as our keynote speaker. And man, first of all, what a nice guy, super solid, super genuine. And, um, you know, politicians like to talk about how they're not typical politicians. You know, you've heard that spiel before. Senator Lankford is literally not a typical politician. As he said in his speech, he was a youth pastor <laughs> for more than two decades. He did not have the traditional, you know, silver spoon politician upbringing where he made a ton of money in the corporate sphere or, um, you know, uh, or he's been in politics since he was 19, like some people I could mention, Grace Evans. But <laughs> rather, uh, he... Uh, he was he was a youth pastor. He ran the largest summer camp in the country, uh, a Southern Baptist youth camp in Oklahoma. And then he discerned a call to uh, to serve his state and his country in government. And he spent a year praying about that with his wife before he finally realized that, yes, this is what God was calling him to do. So um, uh, this this was an incredible occasion because, frankly, I think that it was one of our best dinners. I'll see if Grace agrees mm-hmm. in terms of having someone on the stage who is so close to our vision of how to do political engagement. Because, you know, Minnesota Family Council, 
we talked about this. Like, obviously, we believe in life, family, and religious freedom. Well, there's different ways to approach that, right? We could come at the perspective of, well, this country was founded on certain constitutional values, and those values are what we have to uphold. And that's that's valid. But what that leaves out is a crucial aspect for us at Minnesota Family Council, which is our Christian faith. We are a Christian organization, first, foremost, and only. We are not, uh, we are constitutionalists. The American Constitution is one of the greatest things that humans have ever achieved, but that is subordinate to, you know, the Bible. Like, we are, we are Christians first. Everything else comes later. And for Senator Lankford, that's his thing, too. Citizenship worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so it was so wonderful to have someone who is a Christian first, everything else second. And we've had speakers like that before, to be clear. But Grace, I was just so uh, so enthused by that. And, and I think our audience really connected with him um, and, and, and were very encouraged by that. Would you agree? Yeah, Moses, you know, I absolutely would. I think that it was just one of yeah, like you said, one of the best dinners ever. I've been to about seven at this point. Um, so not all of them by any means, but he was incredible. And I just, I loved how he, he did this, said this in an interview, uh, in preparation for the dinner, but then he also, I think maybe mentioned it there at the gala, but he said that really we need to stop whining and we need to get to work. And that's very convicting because I think it's easy for us to whine, 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 like, oh, this is happening in Minnesota. We're not so Minnesota nice anymore. This is happening. That's happening. Really, we need to roll up our sleeves and get to work. And when we pray and when we get to work, that's when we see the culture change. So it makes me think of that C.S. Lewis quote, um, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And in light of that, we have to get to work. And it doesn't isn't going to help if we're just complaining about it. We need to roll up our sleeves and pray and work. And another really awesome thing is I was told by several elected officials that they were moved by Lankford's speech. It was kind of like he was there as an older legislator um, compared to some younger ones that were there, uh, just kind of mentoring them. And I think that it was just an incredible, incredible night. And uh, so many just normal constituents were there and we were able to talk to them. And it was honestly so nice, too, because a lot of people expressed their interest in the podcast and were excited for us to start it up again. So we're happy to deliver on that. Moses, though, we also had another very special thing that night. We are having a big transition at MFC. Do you want to go ahead and announce that here for our podcast audience? Yes, I, I will. And well, this is something that we'll go into more detail in the coming weeks. Um, but uh, after 20 years at the helm, our CEO, John Helmberger, see what I did there, <laughs> is uh, he has made the prayerful decision to, uh, to step down. He's still going to be involved with Minnesota Family Council, uh, and he's prayerfully working with the board right now on this transition. Um, but the decision has been made. Uh, he's made the decision to step down. And so succeeding him on January 1 will be Jeff Evans, the director of MFC's Church Ambassador Network, who we've interviewed on the podcast going back to season one. He's been involved with MFC for more than a decade and has been the director of the Church Ambassador Network for about five years. Jeff is an incredible person. He's um extremely he's intelligent scary intelligent he's he's smart he's passionate he's convicted mm-hmm. um he's super funny and fun to work with as well um and i'm not just buttering him up because he's about <laughs> to me by be my boss gotta send him and also 
Right. And also, he is Grace's dad. So that is really cool. Uh, we hope that that means that the podcast will become even more important <laughs> as part of MFC's work. Um, but we're, we're just so excited. Uh, John is going to be staying on with MFC in an advisory role as Jeff takes the reins on January 1. So we're so excited for the transition. And we ask that you guys would pray with us mm-hmm. and for us as we, as we start uh, this journey. Um, it's, it's new territory for Grace and I. You know, we've been here for quite a long time uh, between us, and John has always been in charge, so this is going to be different. Um, but, but we're also really excited about it and, and really prayerfully hoping that this will be a, a huge success. So with that, I want to transition to some of the uh, content that we have this week. And we, uh, we are really pleased and privileged to work with uh, Kathy Kirsten a lot. Mm-hmm. She is a journalist here in Minnesota, probably, uh, to my knowledge, one of the most widely read conservative journalists. And she wrote a piece on the so-called trans refuge bill, which, uh, which Grace and I have discussed at, at much length on the podcast. But it's been a while. It's been a couple months that that bill is now law. So Grace, can you tell us a little bit more about that article and, and, and what Kathy is saying? Yeah, absolutely. I was just talking with uh, Renee Carlson of of True North Legal, and she was saying that she was consulted for this piece, which is just so awesome. Kathy is a great ally, and she's, we'll link her article down below. She's brilliant. So really what I want to talk about here with this article is I just want to highlight Kathy's points because they are so good and really make you think. And I mean, even if you're not, even if you are progressive, I think that this these points that she makes would really hit home. So she notes that, you know, for many, many years, Minnesota legislators have viewed Scandinavian countries as kind of like a guiding star when it comes to policies, but especially social policies. And so it is pretty ironic that Democrat legislators have suddenly declared our state a, quote, trans refuge state. Uh, and if you don't remember what that is, I'll refresh you quickly in a little bit here. But They're doing that just as Finland, Sweden, and other Nordic countries are rejecting America's medicalized gender-affirming care, quote-unquote, because it's not care. They're rejecting that model as actually risky and non-evidence-based. So not only does she point that out, but uh, she points out that Democrats insist that this trans quote quote refuge law will significantly reduce the risk of suicide, anxiety, and depression, and it's vital to young people that are suffering gender dysphoria. Repli Finke, who we've discussed on the podcast before, is the sponsor of this legislation that recently passed and labeled the approach, quote, life-saving. And remember, this, these procedures, uh, these chemicals literally irreversibly damage the bodies of children. And Governor Tim Walz has accused states that refuse uh, gender gender-affirming care uh, to children, he accuses them of, quote, bigotry and hate. And in Minnesota, he says that compassion is on the march. But I want you guys to decide, is this really compassionate, what Minnesota's doing? Let's talk more about it. Because if it really is compassionate, then why are these Nordic countries and other nations that were once on the cutting edge of this approach, why are they now publicly rejecting it in favor of counseling? Why is that the case? I want to go over a few problems that have been found with gender-affirming care, so-called gender-affirming care, uh, which relies on drugs that the FDA never approved to begin with. They never approved these drugs for this purpose. 
another problem with it is that it was widely uh, adopted without rigorous clinical trials to establish if they're effective or not. So that's very concerning, especially if we're experimenting on minors. I mean, every child that undergoes these life-altering procedures is literally an experiment. And our state doesn't see a problem with that. At least many leaders don't. Uh, so also, another problem is that starting in 2019, a variety of troubling factors led some of these European nations that I've mentioned to rethink it, including the United Kingdom. So this includes a lot of things, but one thing is an unexplained escalation in the number of women struggling with gender dysphoria. So it's increased by over 4,000% in 10 years in England. That is a staggering statistic. Now, we've talked about this before. A lot of that is the social contagion. So you should definitely read Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier if you haven't already because she talks about how young women especially – And Grace, mm-hmm. you say you say women and young women. It, it's, I think, really important to emphasize, as you have done, that we're talking about middle school girls mm-hmm. and high school girls. You know, this is very much something that is afflicting young people who are uniquely vulnerable – Absolutely, Moses. And so it's affecting these girls. And like Moses says, these middle school girls are going to school and they're affected by the social contagion of it because it's very normal to feel insecure with your own body. Uh, We've had Rebecca Dallahunt, our acting director of policy, on to discuss this. She said that, you know, everyone, every girl feels insecure with her body when she's going through puberty. It's a normal thing. And imagine how horrible it is for a girl that really needs to hear that she is beautiful and loved and created perfectly. Imagine how horrible it is for her to hear the opposite, that you're right. You do need to change the way you look. You're uncomfortable with your body. And now we need to inject you with these life altering drugs or life altering procedures. So those are some problems. One uh, other problem I just want to note that this article points out is that in July 2023, so of this year, 21 clinicians and researchers across nine different countries, so this is a broad study, they summarized their findings in a letter to the Wall Street Journal as, quote, the claim that gender transition reduces suicides is contradicted by every systematic review. They wrote that while evidence that hormones yield mental health benefits is of low or very low certainty. Uh, so I just, I think that it is incredible that these countries are stepping up and really speaking out against this. Um, and again, the question is, why, if these studies represent the, quote, gold standard of evidence based in medicine, health authorities in Sweden, Finland, and the UK, they're carrying out all these reviews and they're the gold standard, and Minnesota has looked to them in the past, they flocked to their, them in the past, why then are we not looking at that and thinking, hmm, we are seeing that the effectiveness of medicalized gender-affirming care, quote-unquote, isn't actually helping children. Uh, It's actually devastating to them. Why aren't we looking at that and thinking, okay, we need to protect children. And so for me, it's actually very hard not to assume uh, the worst of some of these legislators that are pushing this because they're smart people. They uh, have looked to these countries before. They've done the research. They've seen the statistics. Why are they pushing this? Because they're claiming they want to help children. They love children. Everyone deserves healthcare. But healthcare does not harm people. It helps people. And so uh, really pessimistic about some of our legislators right now. I think the key here is that 
many of the Minnesota Democrats are turning a blind eye to these facts about gender-affirming care. They are basing their support instead, this article notes, on policy statements and guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics and other U.S. medical societies. So now they're shifting away from looking at these Nordic countries because they have to turn a blind eye, and they're like, oh, we're going to look at uh, America-specific studies because America is very pro all of this. And so this medicine uh, basically, or sorry, excuse me, these laws, these people here in Minnesota, they're dismissing these society, these guidelines completely as untrustworthy. And, um, but these, but these new studies that these Minnesota legislators are basing these laws off of, these studies are actually, have actually been fact-checked. They've been peer-reviewed and these are very unreliable sources. They are very unreliable studies. You can read her article for further debunking of that. And she notes that, uh, she said, she says, quote, in her article, it seems clear that treatment protocols for say cancer patients should never be based on such low quality evidence. Why is it tolerated for children experiencing gender distress? And I think that really is one of her best points in the article. These protocol, these treatments, um, that Minnesota legislators are pushing have such low evidence. The studies that they're pulling from are just so misrepresented. They have been fact-checked and shown to be erroneous. So why are we putting our children through them? And the reason is that we've politicized this whole thing here in Minnesota and across our country. And I want to close with a quote that these nine different countries, these researchers from nine different countries said, they said that U.S. medical societies are, quote, exaggerating the benefits and minimizing the risks when it comes to, quote, gender affirming care. Wow. So that is just crazy, Moses. I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Well, I think that last quote that says it all, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. They are exaggerating the benefits. They are minimizing the risks and the risks are huge. Mm -hmm. You know, as Grace has discussed, this is not you know, getting your nails done. It's not having your ears pierced. This is something that's extremely invasive. The, either the medications or uh, the medications, like, you know, it's not just taking a pill, right? It's something that, um, that these, these, um, puberty blocking drugs and then cross sex hormones, those will change you forever. And that is the point, right? That is the point, Mm -hmm. uh, that, that is the, that is the desired effect and the idea that these would be available for minors is insane. And I think it, it says so much that that other countries with maybe a more pragmatic approach are pulling back from this. But in the U.S., it's become such a cultural issue that um, uh, people who think children should be subjected to this, they don't feel that they can go back to you know evidence-based medicine because they've invested so much in this idea that if any child says that they're transgender, we need to get them on mm-hmm. a course of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones as quickly as we can. That is the normal treatment um, path, as as you've said and as Kathy Kirsten said. So I think, and I just don't think that's sustainable, Grace. Like I I think. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've seen people like Chloe Cole and others stand out, stand up and say, look what happened to me as a minor. This was horrifying. Chloe Cole underwent a double mastectomy as a minor. And, you know, you'll still hear, Grace, you'll still hear um, progressive activists claim that these surgeries are not being done to minors. Right. You, you'll still right. hear them say that because they're ostriches with their heads buried so deeply in the sand and the they're or, or they're just lying. 
Yeah, it's the same thing because they'll say, oh, well, abortion only happens really in the case of rape and incest. And you say, oh, well, then are you for banning abortion in every case except rape and incest? And they're like, oh, no, no. Same thing with this. Well, if it never happens, aren't you fine with just banning it for minors since it never happens? And they say, no, we need it to be an option. So That's an excellent point. Yeah, Governor Walls regards this whole this whole state of affairs here in Minnesota as compassion. He thinks the kidnapping bill, which is what we have coined the trans refuge bill, um, which again takes custody of children of parents who disagree with gender ideology and treats those parents, those good parents like abusers. He calls that legislation compassionate, but like uh, Ms. Kirsten notes in this article, real compassion and care for these vulnerable children in our state is following the science. So on that note, Moses, let's turn to our headline story of the week, which is all about how progressives here in Minnesota, again, are pushing assisted suicide. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. So, um, Grace, you've been talking about a bill that came up this last session and then became law. And this is something that um, that we had heard about. Uh, because it had happened in California. I think I, I could be wrong, but I think California and maybe only one or two other states have passed a bill like the trans refuge bill. So when we look at assisted suicide, we're all this is something where we can be a little smart about this. Uh, if you want to know what's going to happen in the next legislative session during this off season, which in Minnesota is between June and January, basically when the legislators, legislature is not in session, especially in a non-election year like this year, 2023, look at what legislators are talking about. What are they talking about? Well, that's what they're going to probably be prioritizing when they come back to St. Paul in early February of next year. So uh, th there's even talk right now, to, to use an example of something that's not as horrifying, there's talk of even a special session to discuss the role of like school security officers or school resource officers because there's concerns about the safety of kids in schools. So th that's either going to be dealt with in a special session before February or it's going to be dealt with probably as one of the top priorities of this second legislative session uh, of the biennium. But... What else are people talking about? Well, unfortunately, um, unfortunately, we're seeing that a big priority for some progressive legislators is pushing physician-assisted suicide. Now, we've talked about this issue on the podcast, and I'm sure most of you have encountered this issue before. But what Grace and I have seen is that this issue is not top of mind for a lot of people. And uh, certainly, you know, not as many people are uh, are going to be personally affected by physician-assisted suicide as by, for example, abortion. But this is something that's growing in popularity. Many U.S. states and several foreign countries, I say many, uh, several U.S. states and several foreign countries have legalized this. Mm -hmm. And the results have been devastating. And I'll talk about that a little bit. But this is this is an issue that is morally on par with abortion. And let me quickly tell you why. So the first reason is that every life is inherent, has inherent value from conception to natural death. That means it's worthy of protection. It must be protected. Uh, second, it's never permissible to end a human life uh, for any individual person, whether that's an abortion doctor, a doctor involved in physician-assisted suicide, or just some dude attempting murder. Um, and, you know, the only possible exception to that would be when you've been uh, convicted of a crime in a court of law and the judge has sentenced you to death. Now, the death penalty is a whole nother discussion. 
So if we set that aside for a moment, it's never permissible for you or me or a medical doctor to end a human life, right? Finally, people with terminal illnesses, people with disabilities, they still have lives of inherent value. We should be horrified that there are those in this state and elsewhere who want to hasten them to their graves, all under the guise of helping them, of, of uh, giving them, of empowering them to make a choice, the choice to die. And that's, that's just so illusory. And so many people, as we'll see, are buying this illusion. So physician-assisted suicide is also called medical aid in dying or MAID. It's really important to be familiar with the terminology because medical aid in dying, mm, that's starting to sound a little bit, I don't know, neutral. It's starting to sound like, okay, somebody's already dying. Okay, we're just talking about someone being taken off of the feeding tube or whatever and, and ending their life. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about artificial means to end a life, Okay. And this is a threat to people who are the most vulnerable, people who are dealing with terminal illness or lifelong disability. Why do I say disability here? Because the whole narrative is around people with terminal illness. Mm -hmm. Well, in other countries, including in Canada, Belgium, the Netherlands, you don't need a terminal diagnosis mm -hmm. to, uh, to access assisted suicide. In fact, Grace, I think you and I have discussed in the podcast, people have cited poverty and depression, mm -hmm. as well as non-terminal medical conditions mm -hmm. as reasons why they should be uh, able to access physician-assisted suicide, and they've been granted those requests. At least 1,000 people die this way, in, are killed this way by doctors in Canada every year, and that's not that far from us. That's and so sad. Canada is a country, right, and Canada, it is sad. It's horrifying. And Canada is a country that's a tenth of the size of the United States, roughly. So we can only imagine the carnage. It will, it would actually start to, mm -hmm. uh, uh, start to approach the level of abortions. Not, not it wouldn't exceed the level of abortions, but it would, um, it would become immeasurable um, on the scale of abortion. And that's a human tragedy. And it's, it's not less of a tragedy because these people are dying anyway. We're talking about taking human life. Mm -hmm. And that is always wrong, whether it's someone in the womb, whether it's a five-year-old, whether it's a 31-year-old podcast host, um, or whether it's someone who is uh, in the end stage of a terminal illness. Mm -hmm. and, and let's talk about why physician-assisted suicide doesn't do what it claims to do. And the fact is that advances in palliative care methods, also called comfort care, and, and there's some moral questions there too. Like, we, we want to make sure that we're not hastening people to their graves uh, artificially, even just by uh, administering medications that are not fatal, but that may, um, uh, that may hasten death. So that's, you know, there are questions there. But there are real advances in palliative care methods that, that means that almost all patients with terminal illness or with disability can live out the remainder of their natural life with lower pain levels than they could previously, with a degree of comfort and dignity surrounded by their family and friends. So a, our, our opponents on this issue, have, have they have attempted to steal the words choice compassion. Mm -hmm. That's the big assisted suicide group. It's called compassion and choices. Like, 
I think we've discussed how Orwellian that is, that they're claiming to be the compassionate uh, choice in the in in this in this um, in this uh, on this discussion. And they're, they're claiming that this is death with dignity. Well, actually, a natural death is the real death with dignity. And that does not need to be unnaturally prolonged. It does not need to be full of pain, suffering, and fear. And increasingly, thanks to advances in palliative care, that's what is the case. And you know what? This is a really dark subject for discussion, and we understand that. But we wouldn't be talking about this if people weren't actively trying to target terminally ill people and people with disabilities here in Minnesota. And that's why we need to get involved. This battle came to our doorstep. We didn't ask for it. And now we need to fight. And why are we talking about this now? Well, there have been a couple key developments in Minnesota. So each year, as you know, the Minnesota, or as you may know, the Minnesota House Information Services, uh, they conduct a poll at the state fair. Uh, it's not a scientific poll, uh, but for the first time in years, they asked the question about assisted suicide, and 73.2% of people said they were in favor. Now, remember, this is not a representative sample of Minnesotans. It's not even a representative sample of state fairgoers, right? It, ha- it has mm-hmm. to be the people who go into the certain building at a certain time and then who are interested in filling out a poll that takes 20 minutes. It's not, a, you know, so it's going to skew towards people who are advocates of this issue. And it is already being used by advocates to push this agenda. So Senator Kelly Morrison, she's a Democrat from uh, who lives in Deep Haven and serves that district. And so she uh, she announced, um, uh, and I quote, legislation that would establish an end of life option for terminally ill adults in Minnesota was introduced during the 2023 session. Advocates are now ramping up their push to pass the bill during the 2024 legislative session that convenes in February. Experts, advocates whose lives have been impacted by terminal illness and legislators will participate in a roundtable discussion about the bill on Wednesday uh, of last week. So, now, I think it, uh, this is the last thing I'll say, Grace, and then I'll ask you for your thoughts. Like, this roundtable discussion, so-called, did not include anyone, anyone opposed to assisted mm-hmm. suicide or even anyone with questions about it. it, it that's the definition of a not roundtable discussion. <laughs> a roundtable discussion is bringing together people with opposing views. So they're creating a narrative in which everyone from doctors to patients to uh, the relatives of dying people uh, and the relatives of those with severe disabilities are unanimously in favor of changing state law so that vulnerable patients are killed off rather than continuing to receive care. So I think after this discussion, you guys can understand why we're fighting so hard against this, why this is going to be one of our top priorities during the next legislative session is stopping this legislation to the extent that we possibly can, fighting hard. So uh, more to come on that, I'm sure. Grace, what's your perspective on this issue? Yeah, Moses, thank you so much for breaking that down. That was excellent. I really don't have too much to add here. I just think it's important for our audience to recognize that it is National Suicide Prevention Week. So um, make sure that you're thinking on this, that you're reaching out to loved ones or friends that may be struggling with this and just let them know that their life is worthy of living and that they are loved and cared for um, and that they're always hope, uh, hope and hope does not put us to shame. And really just, I would say this is the next front on the battle for life. Uh, we've got abortion, of course, that will always be 
huge travesty and we'll always fight that but this really is the next push by the uh by the progressives especially in our state so make sure you arm yourselves with the facts a great way to do that is to make sure that you continue to be subscribed to our podcast and we'll get you the facts every single friday and we will continue to update you on this issue so moses that really is those really are my thoughts there on this issue I'd like to, uh, as we close out our podcast for this week, I'd really like to ask you what you're reading because I, we haven't podcasted for about a month. Um, so go ahead and tell me some of the books you're reading. Yes. And, um, and, and I love this part of the podcast, so I'll be happy to tell you, um, there's really three books and I'll be, I'll be brief. Uh, there's three books that, that I'm working on right now. Uh, the first, and I've really profited from this is called the life giving parent, Giving Your Child a Life Worth Living for Christ. And it's by um, a husband and wife, Clay and Sally Clarkson. And um, my wife recommended this book, and she's she and I are both reading it. Um, neither of us have finished it yet. Um, but it's just so good. It just talks about different ways that we as parents can bless our children and um, create an environment for them that is nourishing uh, and nourishes them in their Christian faith. And um, it talks about the crucial years of ages four to 14. And my daughter just turned four. So it's really timely, I think, uh, to, to read, to, for me to read this now. And I'm, I'm just really, I've been really blessed by it. Um, the second one, I'm reading a kind of a, kind of a potboiler detective novel called uh, Hide and Seek by Ian Rankin. And it's set in Scotland. It's set in Edinburgh. And Grace, it actually reminds me a lot of a book we've discussed, which is um, uh, J.K. Rowling's uh, Murder yes. Mystery series. Uh-huh. Um, I'm forgetting what the first one is called. The Cuckoo's Calling. Um, the Cuckoo's Calling. Thank you. So she writes, uh, if people are not familiar, J.K. Rowling writes murder mysteries under the pseudonym Robert Galbraith, I think. Mm-hmm. And she's a Scottish writer. This author is a Scottish writer. And there is a lot, uh, frankly, a lot of similarities down to like the liter- literary quotes at the beginning of each chapter. And it's like dark and mysterious and and pretty good. It's pretty good so far. Uh, very dated. Um, it's from 1990. And it just, yeah, feels dated. Finally, my favorite book that I'm reading right now is um, The Mill on the Floss, which is a novel by George Eliot. Um, I think we've discussed when I read Middlemarch. Uh, I think we discussed it on the podcast, same author, one of my favorite books. Um, so this is from 1860, and it's it's just a really, a really interesting story um, about this. It's kind of autobiographical. George Eliot is mm-hmm. actually a pseudonym for a female novelist, Marianna Evans. I think her name is Evans. I wonder if she's related to Grace. Um, <laughs> it's a common name. And she, yeah, and and she was extremely precocious, extremely intelligent, and and struggled in Victorian society. And so this is supposed to be her most autobiographical novel, and I'm just loving it so far. She's just such a great writer. So I'm really enjoying that book particularly. So what are you reading, Grace? That's great, Moses. In the interest of time, I will highlight a few and then talk about more in next week. I'm reading a lot of George MacDonald right now. So good. So I'll talk about him next week in the books I'm reading. But then I'm also reading um, Anne of the Island by Ellen Montgomery. It's one of the Anne of Green Gables series. I'm rereading it. Just a wholesome read. I'm reading Christian Reflections by C.S. Lewis, which is just a collection of some of his essays on the Christian life, which are so good. And uh, those are those are the two that I'm working on right now besides George McDonald. Wonderful. So really good books there. 
So as we come in for a final landing here, we do want to continue our weekly verse that we want to share with you guys. So I will go ahead and read for you the one I chose for today, which comes from Psalm 1. So let's go ahead and read. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, it's hard to stop there because the whole psalm is really good, but I think I'll stop there. I just love it. It's always just so good to me. That's one of my favorite psalms. Um, just talking about, you know, the man is blessed that doesn't associate with the scoffers, that does not act like the wicked do, that the one that meditates uh, every single day on the word. And I think that's just a good reminder for us um, that we are blessed if we do that. So on that note, thank you so much for tuning in to this week of the Family Beacon Podcast. Don't forget to hit that notification bell so you're notified every single time we post if you're watching on YouTube and make sure you subscribe if you're listening on any other platform. We will be back next Friday with the top stories on life, family, and religious freedom so you can get the facts and stand for truth. Thanks for listening to or watching this episode of the Family Beacon Podcast from Minnesota Family Council. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you're up to date on life, family, and religious freedom. You can follow us on Instagram at MN Family Council and subscribe to us on YouTube to watch our content. Get the facts, stand for truth. Music.